Last time I kind of on the show, I said that the dollar is going to be between 100 and 105. And yet uh, we just uh, see this breakout to 106. And naturally enough, uh, gold and silver, uh, um, you know, experience a correction uh, on the on the on the other side. Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Marcus here with you for Arcadia Economics. And today, joined by my dear friend, John Lee, as we going to dig into a lot of economic topics. Of course, we will be focused on the silver market, talk some gold, although many unusual things happening around the world in a variety of the different markets. So we will touch on the dollar, interest rates, and a whole bunch of other things. Um, Hoping we'll get some comments. John, I know, is actively involved in real estate as well, which has been a bit the confusing market over these this past year and a half, especially with the high mortgage rates, yet prices continuing to go up. So we'll dig into that as well. But before we get started, John, pleasure to have you back on the show. It's uh, been a couple months, and we'll have some things to touch on, some of the things you said back in May and how they progressed since then. But how are you doing today, my friend? Doing well, Chris. Good to see you again. Time flies. It's been almost six months already. Yeah, four months. Yeah, it's already a couple of months have gone by. Uh, you've been traveling around the world. I've been out of Mexico into the U.S. And um, somehow the silver price seems to be stuck in a similar range. Although it's interesting, I was reviewing our last call. And back then we had just under $26 silver. I think gold was slightly over 2000 bucks, And I will... Pull up our chart from today. We're recording on Tuesday, September 26th. This will air on Wednesday, but seen a bit of a sell-off so far this week in the silver market. Plunged down lower yesterday, trading a little bit lower today. Hearing a lot of comments from bankers, uh, commercial bankers like Jamie Dimon, as well as central bankers, Neil Cash Carry out today, talking about the possibility of higher rates and Meanwhile, we have silver now at the lower end of this range it's been in since, let's call it March, before you had banking issues, get up to $26, and um, I believe it may have been right around there when we talked. Um, either case, thoughts on where we stand today in silver? Seems like it's hovering around that range, waiting for some sort of clarity out of the Fed of when we're going to be done hiking rates, but... What would you say about what we've seen over these past couple months since we last talked? Yeah, the gold and silver prices are at least on a short-term, week-to-week or day-to-day -day basis, largely driven by direction of the dollar. So, uh, Chris, last time I kind of on the show, I sort of postulated the dollar. I didn't say I, I was not a dollar bear, given dollar is the sort of the king of the fiat currency and there needs to, that... Um, that the power that be need to need to have some sort of normalcy and, and try to keep the reserve currency moving along. So I said that the dollar is going to be between 100 and 105, and yet uh, we just uh, see this breakout to 106. And naturally enough, uh, gold and silver, uh, um, you know, experience a correction uh, on the on the on the other side. Uh, right now, where we're at is the dollar is broken up to the upside over 105. So it could embark, it could continue. Um, to uh, to uh, to rally to uh, close to one ten possibly, and right now gold and silver are at this uh, very uh, very strong support level, two hundred day moving average. Silver is about twenty three thirty ish, and then gold is about nineteen thirty. So I think the judge is ju the judge is out. Uh, whether whether the metals are going to uh, correct below 
the uh, those uh, very strong support levels. Um, I don't know, but uh, but but even if gold and silver were to correct below the two hundred day moving average, um, it will be temporary until the dollar runs out is uh, run out until the dollar rally run out of steam. Yeah, and John, something that. I get it. Sometimes silver investors, uh, whether they watch the show or elsewhere, don't like hearing, you know, if silver goes up a little bit or thinking about where we were last year. Although interesting here, you see July 13th below 100 up to 106, as you pointed out today. And you look at the uh, silver price. Uh, here we go on 25 16th. Yes. So 24, 30 ish. Would you say to some degree, given that we've had rates continue to go up, they came out last week, said we're still, the cuts are nowhere in the future. They reduced their dot plot for next year, two cuts instead of four. I mean, in some ways, given the way these things trade, would you say it's not really the worst thing in the world that silver is sitting at 2314 today, given the environment that we've had over these past couple of months? I absolutely agree with you. I, I, gold and silver are actually acting very strongly at the backdrop of a strong dollar. In fact, if we look at well, the dollar, last time the dollar was 106 back in around November 2022, March 2023. Uh, gold was below eight, uh, 1980 and silver was below $20. Uh, can you see that uh, around uh, 106? That's around November, October-ish, right, uh, of 2022. And yeah. uh, towards around you know early part of 2023, gold was 1980 and silver was uh, just over 20 dollar. And what we're looking at is, in a way, you can you can think of the currency game of what of traders that are rotating back and forth between euros and John. If I uh, excuse me for interrupting a second, although back in as you point out here, we have 1920, yeah, 106 in November of 2022. Gold was actually even quite a bit lower. You see, we're yes, back. Yes, eighteen hundred. There you go. That's my perfect. That's exactly the point I'm making. Don't be distracted by, you know, some people say, "Oh my God, the dollar." I'm bull on the dollar, so I'm bearish on gold. Think of a rising dollar as an opportunity to accumulate, especially at this two hundred day moving average level, which is a very very strong support level. And what's happening is uh, the day to day storyline. You know, the Fed say this, J.B. Diamond says that, the ECB says this. It's just a distraction for the traders to stay within, the, within this realm of currency arbitrage. But but over time, you're going to have leakage and spillage of this money going into gold and silver. And the power that be, their mandate and their objective is to minimize that leakage, right? That spillage into, into gold and silver, but having said a lot of, you know, we have a lot of bears that are giving up on gold and silver on a daily basis from talking to elephant shareholders. Keep in mind that we're only less than, we're about $50, $40 from reaching that all important $2,000 level, resistance level. And for silver, it, it seems like there's a lid on the $25 level, but once the $25 level is taken, uh, is, is taken out, you know, there's not going to be a whole lot of, uh, trading needed or volume needed to 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 uh, challenge the $28 level. So in a way, you you see that the cartels are working over time to put a lid on these critical uh, resistance levels, all-time high levels, and we're not that far from it. And, uh, and, and, um, 
I would say the dollar probably got another uh, four to six weeks of strength, if at that. And from that point, and gold and silver is known to running ahead of that, right? So I still stick to my gun, Chris, which is 2000 for gold and $28 for silver this year. It's not playing out exactly according to script, given that we're towards the end of September, but we still have October, November, and Christmas, you know, three over three months to come. And it will not take a whole lot. Remember also, Chris, that in I think in 2020 or 2021, silver went from $14 to $30 in, in a span of three weeks. So it wouldn't take a whole lot to for gold and silver to, to catch up. Well, they certainly move quick when they finally do. And as you talked about, some of the uh, great leaders we have running the show these days, uh, I wanted to pull this one up. I know she is one of your favorites, but <laughs> interesting comments from Janet Yellen this week where she says, well, we'll just let her, we'll let, let you hear for yourself and then you can comment on this one. Um, I don't see any signs that uh, the economy is um, at risk of a downturn and this is the best of all worlds to see continued strength in the economy, a good, strong labor market, and inflation moving down. And that is what we're seeing. Do you have a, a time frame in mind of when we might see that peak lag? So she doesn't see any signs of a downturn. I have my notes here where I look at the, the ISM PPI below 50 consistently, manufacturing PMI below 50, serv ISM services, uh, that one's actually above 50 in positive territory. Philadelphia Fed was out this morning, negative numbers. Uh, do you see any signs that a recession is in our in our future, John? Or what, what would you say about Janet's comments there? Well, Janet has to say that in order to build the construct for much higher interest rates to come, which is what I have been telegraphing for the last two years. And Chris, I was on the show in 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 uh twenty early twenty twenty two, you know, pounding the table when ten year was less than two percent, that ten year is going to go a lot higher. Now the ten year is close to five percent. Uh, the only way to justify continued rising rates is is they have to say that economies are not in recession. Otherwise, they have to lower rates. Then they have to continue to 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 beating the drum on inflation, even though there are a lot of signs that deflation is taking place. In, in price decreases, uh, but they cannot they they cannot say that right. They have to mask that. So it's entirely natural that these politicians are sticking with the script that's being fed to them. Uh, remember this Kalikari guy out of what, Minnesota or Wisconsin two years ago. He was the biggest. Uh, he was the dovish guy that there is, and now he's you know one of the most hawkish guy. And then one other note, Chris, is if you look at today's oil at ninety dollars. Um, Oil was hovering around 80 to 120 from 2011 to 2014. And that was when uh, interest rate, the Fed funds were at the lowest in history. The Fed funds rate was held under 1% for that four or five years in question. So, and now oil is back to where, and oil touches all facets of our daily lives. Um, I wouldn't take the CPI or PPI or, or ISMI numbers. I used to follow them. You know, the, the likes of David Rosenberg and a lot of the well-known economists, sometimes, sometimes you know, it's, it's tail wagging the dog or dog wagging the tail. And, and, and the, the, you know, none of them make any sense to me. So now I, I don't even sort of read much into those numbers nowadays. And 
you talk about recession as being two consecutive negative GDP growth. Well, how do you measure GDP, right? That in itself is a long chapters we can go into uh, for, 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 you know, for over a beer. But I think in the end, uh, Chris, the takeaway, if I can share with your audience is now is not, not the time to go hero. Um, you know, I'm winding down a lot, some of my real estate investments, depending on geographical locations and winding, like even for Silver Elephant, we're shedding some assets or non-core assets. Uh, now it's time to deleverage because the rates are going to go a lot higher. There's no question in my mind. And what you hear on a daily basis are set out to confuse you. To The markets are laggard. Chris, they cannot have this kind of knee jerk, right? If, if the Fed comes tomorrow and say that the, that the Fed is going to go to 6%, <laughs> Chris, the market is the, the, the stock market is gonna crash tomorrow because they're gonna have to adjust for yields. So in a way, they have to leave the ends on that on that on that frying pan and the turn of the temperature up and down, you know. But but make make no mistake, the transfer interest rate is gonna go a lot higher, even even despite the pushbacks from the CalPERS and from the pension funds are upside down in their in their in their treasury holdings and in their equity positions. They are, the rates are going to go higher, and the, the and the and the reason for that is to achieve the twenty thirty agenda of own nothing and be happy. Yeah, and John, you talked about that last time you were on the show, where you said back then that you thought rates were going higher, and we were back around the three and a half level. So indeed, you've turned out to be correct. Um, interesting. Jamie Diamond had some commentary this morning where he was speculating how things might react at seven percent. Fed funds rate, which uh, a little scary to imagine some of the economic structures, if that does indeed become a reality. Although you, you wonder with, and you, and you pointed out with the higher oil price, and now the, uh, I think we're not particularly either large fans of the government inflation data, but to the degree that they're looking at it and putting it over the media, we saw the numbers tick up the last month. And as you said, oil affecting everything. So where do you see that going from here? It doesn't seem like, at least based on what we see on the surface, that the Fed is really left in an easy position. I mean, what are they going to, what are they supposed to do when you start seeing inflation tick back up? Kind of hard for them to come out and say they're going to lower rates anytime soon. Chris, the guy that runs the Fed and the guys that publish these inflation numbers are, 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 are guys, you know, right hand talking to the left hand. So the numbers could be high, could be low. Same with Jamie Dimon's statement. You got to have a bear and a bull just to create that bit of attention. Um, and uh, as I said, Chris, I was in Japan uh, just two weeks ago and uh, I was in many parts of the world. I was in, I was in Asia. I was in Europe. I definitely are seeing the cooling of the economy and and that even in Vancouver now they're giving discounts on Uber rides. Um taxi rides are, you know, prices are down 30% from it was just four months ago with, with the coupons. And you're seeing a lot of happy hour specials everywhere. So you're definitely seeing cracks in 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 in, in the lack of demand because the prices are too high. But again, Chris, it's not gonna deter the Fed from raising rates higher. And the logic on that is not data driven. It's ideal. It's ideological. It's ideal driven, which is they want they want the disappearing middle class and have a two tier class system of 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 the well to do's and the ones that are own nothing and be happy.
that is really the bottom line, Chris. Does seem that way. Although, with all of that said, what do you see for silver? Again, you talked about perhaps hitting that twenty-eight dollar level later this year, but maybe if we look at the medium or long term, how is this going to impact the silver market? Uh, also, would like to touch on maybe in a the answer the first one because we we do have what seems like a lack of investment capital going into silver right now, but some contrasting factors, shall we say, and if we do see rates continue to rise higher, is that going to be trouble for silver or where do you see that going? Yeah, Chris, right now the silver and gold market are decoupling from a lot of the a lot of different sort of variables that we're tracking. Like for example, silver used to track quite well with oil and, and uh, NASDAQ even because it's liquidity driven. But silver is a lagger, same as gold. Um, there's definitely not a lot of speculative fraud in these markets, especially witnessing the mining, the mine, the mining companies picking up and down, large and small. First Majestic is trading at multi-year low, it's broken down, and the juniors are completely going through this nausea phase of zero, almost zero interest whatsoever. Um I I think right now you never know though, Chris, what's gonna drive the the market going forward, metals market, because the fundamentals are so strong. And and the only way, the way I look at it, the only way for the agenda to be pushed forward, to keep the plan moving along, to continue the deficit spending, and to sort of keeping the lid of all the problems under the lid, is to have a, a benign, a, a nonsensical, a low-profile gold and silver price. That has to be front and center, forefront checkmark for the guys that are running the show. And that's why you're seeing such... Uh, concerted, heavy-handed price management. Chris, remember back in the days, five years ago, every now and then you have a Friday dump, right? And now it's almost like, now you have a Friday relieve. <laughs> you have a Monday to Thursday managing, and then you have a Friday relieve, almost. So I don't see that letting down because so much is at stake to execute their century-long program, planned program. So all I can say is, um, with the digital currency, with a lot of different mandates that's happening, with the mobility of money uh, being restricted more and more on a daily basis, the amount of you know international wire being questioned, withheld, getting smaller and smaller. We know that because we do a lot of international commerce. So I would recommend, encourage, and highly sort of um, recommend. Uh, I myself, as I mentioned to you, also in May, we bought gold for the first time in, in almost. Got in 20 years. We started buying silver 15 years ago, and you know we bought we we bought quite a lot of gold uh, when gold was 1850. And now you know in, now the market is affording you another opportunity to accumulate the physical metal that they're available first of all, and secondly they're trading at not so high the premium uh, as, as to the physical um, that you can acquire. And I would continue to recommend that. I would not look at your net real wealth being measured in dollars and appreciation in dollar terms right now is a way to come now it's conservation mode it's with all the craziness in the world right now is is making sure your wealth don't disappear or or confiscated or blocked or unable to transact it's about accumulating gold and silver it's going to be hovering around this 200 day moving average and if dollar were to make an attempt to Go up to 110, you might see a brief dip of silver at $22 level. I don't say go down below 20. And, and conversely, for for um for for gold, 
I don't see it go down to more than nine, go down below 1850 for any amount of time while the 200 day average continue to move up. And uh, so now, now, now it's a good time to accumulate. That's, that's sort of the way I look at it, Chris. Yeah, and then the background of everything that you mentioned there, we have the whole thing with the BRICS and de-dollarization going on around the world. Obviously, you're traveling quite a bit. I'm curious some of the different places you go, and I see you shaking your head there. Uh, what do you hear outside of the U.S. in terms of some of those trends that have been going on? I don't buy it uh, at all, Chris. I talked about it in May and also maybe a couple of other channels. Um if 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 the if if the Indians don't trust the if the Indians don't trust the Americans with a dollar, you think they would trust the Chinese with the renminbi, <laughs> right? And uh, and then same with Brazil, would they trust the Indians to come to a consensus on what to print, where to print, how much can be printed? I don't think, as I said, they would even agree on a time zone to hold such meetings on how they can settle their trades. So, and that only builds a, a, even a more bullish case for gold and silver moving forward. You cannot, it's the, the whole reason the dollar is created and the present was created is to have the hegemony of a currency. And given the size of these different fractured economies, I, I don't see them come to, coming to consensus at all of, 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 a, um, of a new currency away from the dollar. So I don't see any difference at all. Like when I was in, in Europe, um, I actually see more, um, centralized more more centralized currency right like i was in croatia croatia is now adopting the euro turkey is moving towards the euro and asia in 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 large part are are going with the dollar so i i don't i don't see any new currencies coming on the horizon uh that that's not what i see chris not necessarily whether there's a new currency but just the degree to which it seems like trade deals are being done that increasingly don't involve the dollar and and i i get what you're saying because it's you, you say uh people don't trust the dollar do they trust what the chinese central bank is doing and i think that's a fair point although the degree to which gold can be used as a settlement mechanism and something that we had heard speculation about at the BRICS meeting did not no formal overt announcements but just the degree to which you could have some of these trade imbalances settled with gold and um it sounds like you're not you don't you don't see that oh chris soon as the country soon as the country uh choose gold currency and you know and 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 not just some fiat uh instruments some fiat etf that actually have gold in the vault to back their currency they you're gonna have to you know, you're gonna have the feds raining down. You're gonna have the warships circling the country. <laughs> it's just not. It's not to be because, as I said, this is a century-long uh, program that they are approaching the final chapter by 2030. They cannot have one of those countries, a uh, rogue country. You know, uh, sort of stray away from the wolf pack. Um, and Chris, and and if if we look at if you look at say India and do business with China. Like if they were to settle a currency outside of the dollar, all that meant was, Chris, that India is going to have central bank opens a account with China Central Bank and they will be swapping currencies on trades. If, if they happen to net out in terms of the trade surpluses, then they're, at the end of the day, nobody owns right the Indian rupee or, or, or Chinese renminbi. But rest assured, Chris, when one country has an imbalance and are start accumulating um 
sort of the other guy's currency, they're not going to sit on that currency for too long. They're going to cash out. Like, for example, if Indian has gotten too much Japanese yen, India is going to cash out the yen and go something else. They could be buying gold secretly, possible, but that would not be made. That would not be made in a sort of an obvious way, right? It would be made more opaque. But I, I, I don't, I don't see. And then what? What now, right? So India is going to have a currency with a Brazil real, and then and then Japanese yen, and then the uh, Korean one, and the Hong Kong dollar, and then the Russian rubles. I mean, it's it's going to be a nightmare in the making, Chris. And that's why gold gold is there in the first place. But unfortunately, I don't see gold play a central role in that in that either, because of the power that be in the cartel is going to have a very heavy hand in making sure that that scenario will not materialize or happen. Although I suppose effectively, it do, it sounds like we're not seeing something entirely dissimilar where where you talk about them selling the yen to buy gold. So essentially whether it's formalized or not formalized reaching the same endpoint um although john the last thing as i mentioned before did want to touch on uh i was reading an article interesting the way they phrased it that we're seeing a prolonged absence of capital expenditure in silver obviously uh you touched on how junior market in particular not seeing money come in there the shares down quite a bit same with uh on the senior side in production companies as well do you, do you think we run into an issue at some point going forward? Because especially with the idea of making the world increasingly green, um, seems like now would be the time where you'd need to be ramping up production on silver, as well as a whole host of other metals. But what could you say as especially you're on the front lines of that that part of the market? Yeah, Chrissy, we're we're looking at a dichotomy of 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 uh, a dilemma of a or a struggle or imbalance or you know, economics 101 is you have supply, you have a demand destruction right now. And then you, at the same time, you have supply disruption. Um, nobody's going to spend $4 billion. It used to be $1 billion in, in put a copper open pit project in production. Now it's going to probably cost you $3 billion. And used to take about two years. Now it's going to take about five years. And if you add the amount of time, the permitting it's going to take, it's going to be a decade from the point of a discovery to getting a mine to production, if at that, and the cost of capital has also gone up. <laughs> if we're to go to LIBOR plus five, you know, all the economics thrown out of the window when used to be the days you can you can finance a project with 70%, 80% debt at LIBOR plus one, which is 2%. Now to finance a, a mine with, with debts, you're looking at interest rates at least double digit. And so a lot of the variables are gone, which means that the supply is going to be throttled. But unfortunately, on the other side, demand is also uh, evaporating and collapsing in record time. And that is my view. And that's through my traveling anti-dole evidence. When I was in Japan, in Tokyo, several of the 24-hour venues that I visited, they're, they're not even open every day. <laughs> they close at 11. And um, the flights that I take, the frequency of the flights and the occupancy of the flights are, I'm, I'm seeing supply destruct, uh, demand destruction, Chris. The dynamics, how they play out, um, depending on which one is going faster. So you're gonna see a lot of volatility in the market, whereas, whereas, whereas you know, supply being withdrawn from the market, but the demand is collapsing as well. So it's, you know, so the whole thing is sort of are coming down. However, I think in the end, um, at the same time, also gold and silver. Silver has got that in industrial and, and investment element to it. 
But in terms of the uh, base metals and oil, I don't see collapsing of these commodities. But rather, I, I see, I see, I see them hovering around these levels, and they could go up and it could go down, maybe at at this round at around this level. But where I think what's going to drive gold and silver going forward is going to be that investment demand. It's not going to be so much on the industrial demand, which would be um, which would be lackluster. And the and the um, and the like, for example, if if you look at nickel, that's another good example, right? With the, such a rapid adoption of the EVs, and yet nickel prices are back to where they started two years ago before the run up in 2022. I see that gold and silver uh, principal driver that's going to be investment demand. And the investment demand, Chris, part, part of that is like you said, that US Treasury is, is not as attractive as it once were, even though it's yielding a lot higher than what 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 um even though it's yielding a lot higher than it once were because of this geo geopolitics. A lot of guys just don't want to be holding US Treasury. Doesn't matter what. The Russians certainly don't want it, the Chinese certainly don't want to, you know, the Brazilian, you know, depending on the time of the day, the relationship with the US is on Rocky. Uh, on the old footing. So a lot, and they're Saudis, and you collectively look at that a few trillion dollars. They're not going to be settling on the U.S. Treasury. So the fundamental for gold and silver is very, very strong. And it's just a matter of when when that rally is going to be ignited. And so long as the gold and silver stay above that $200 moving average and inching towards challenging all-time resistance, $2,000 for gold and around $28 for silver, then you're going to see some major sparks, uh, you know, major fireworks. I still anticipate a good run up uh, this year, and but yet, you know, it's, uh, the judge is uh, the judge is out to be seen. But the, in the end, Chris, you are not being in the market for 20 years. There's been a lot of easier ways to make money, a lot less heartaches, headaches. But here we are, you know, we've been for here for 20 years. What's the extra one or two years? You're gonna spell out, right? Keeping good health, and then uh, sit sit by the side, and then you know watch watch the events unfold. But I am def I'm very very confident that these critical resistance level will be overcome in the short horizon. If not this year, maybe before PDAC uh, May uh, next year, Chris. Well, that makes enough sense, and perhaps one thing that I don't know if this should give people comfort. I mean, when we saw that banking issues earlier this year was quite a surge in gold and silver. We saw that even reflected in the COMEX price, as well as retail activity that was going on with physical gold and silver. And obviously, we've talked quite a bit in the last half hour about different conditions that Janet Yellen's thoughts uh, aside seem to be concerning a lot of other people, including uh, IMF was out warning about banking issues last week. Uh, Bob Michelle from JP Morgan, we we talked about one of his comments the week before that. So um, again, I, I don't know if it's comforting if we have chaos in the banking sector, but at least to gold and silver investors that we saw that the metals did still respond. And certainly with, uh, in my opinion, some factors indicating we have not seen the end of that. Um, I think makes sense along with what you're saying. So you know, Chris, the house is on fire. You remember back in the days when uh, Kim Jong-un of North Korea fired a missile in the water and then gold went up $50? And now we have a full-fledged war, a proxy war going on between Ukraine and, uh, and, and you know, in Ukraine where hundreds of people or thousands of people die on a the, on the monthly basis. Yeah, everybody going on on this business like there's nothing happening, right? But the room is on fire, Chris. 
Same with the banking. I think right now it's just a lot of that psychological managing with the baby, you know, with, with the millennials and with the new the new breed on Wall Street that never really seeing any real sort of events or being not being taught in this new neon monetary policy. You remember back in the days, the MMT and whatever is all made up. And a lot of that is just a, a, a psychological and sort of price management. And like you said, you know, all these accidents happen and, you know, the cartels are are sort of crossing their fingers, hoping to hoping that the demand and the volume will seed, which then they're going to pick away on this COMEX, right? Like we talked about. They might even fuel the fire just to exhaust the buying. And from there, they're going to pick away on the market. The banks, let me just share with you quickly. Chris, my view is, in five years time, maybe less, the banks will be consolidated because the role of commercial banks are by and large serve their purpose. They have no utilities anymore with the advance of digital currency. The Fed, you only need one bank. They can manage it all digitally. You don't need branches. You don't need ATMs. The banks, majority of the banks will be gone, Chris. And the consolidation already started taking place. Lehman Brothers gone, UBS, UBS and Deutsche Bank. You know, all these things are not happening by accident. I think it's the central banks are withdrawing liquidity uh, from 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 the uh, from the weaker players, and eventually the banks will be all consolidated. They are, they they serve their purpose. They're gonna get a thank you on the a, a pat on the back, and then uh, they are not needed anymore. Yeah, well, we're seeing it play out, and especially if uh, Jamie Dimon turns out to be right about seven percent interest rates. Uh, or Neil Cash Carey, or some of the other speakers we see out there. I don't think we need to necessarily get to 7% to see some of these issues come back. In fact, I had pulled up briefly while you were speaking before how seeing bankruptcies at levels that match what we saw in 2008, 2020. So um, the Rome is on fire and yelling and saying that the economy is very robust. I was, I was watching another show say that the uh, auto the automobile repos are all time high, right? Again, you know, <laughs> everything's fine. <laughs> you know, shoes gonna drop, Chris. The question is how how is the public gonna react, right? Again, a lot of that is psychological. In the end, uh, this, the, the other central banks and the government's gonna divest into gold. A lot of the well-to-dos, uh, Elon Musk, you know, going down the letter, the, the Sentai billionaire, the billionaires, the Sentai millionaires, they're not going to put up with this digital currencies and then they're going to have their say in, in how they want to spend their money. And the only way to do that is to accumulate physicals. Chris, there's no other way. There's no other way. Well, I hear you. That's why we continue to talk about these things here and we'll see uh, how it all unfolds. But at least uh, that's what I'm seeing. That is also what John Lee is seeing. And John, before we wrap up, though, uh, would love to hear an update. I know you have a new deal that you guys just signed at Silver Elephant, and perhaps you could just walk folks through the latest news that you guys have coming out. We're not gonna. We're gonna. We are going to see continued volatilities, even though I'm very bullish at gold and silver at these levels, which are very strong support, 200-day moving average, and we are approaching on uh, all-time resistance level, reestablishing all-time high. But we're, we're adopt, the company is adopting a very cautious approach. You're trying to minimize dilution. We raised quite a bit of money over just over a million dollars, and we took a hit on shares issuance. But we really try to minimize additional uh, a share issuance and dilution because of the uncertainties. Um, and we just announced two weeks ago, we uh, struck a deal with Indian Precious Metals. 
which has a processing facility for the silver resource um, that our flagship project Tulakayo has in the ground. So uh, NDA is going to pay Silver Elephant uh, $5 million over the next 16 months. $3 million, $3 million will be paid. $1.2 million you already paid, and another $1.8 million in January. US $1.8 million US. So altogether, we're going to get about close to $5 million uh, by January, four months from now. And what's happening is um, we are organizing, the company is organizing a trucking and shovel operation to uh, deliver the uh, resource, the rocks, we don't call it ore, but the rocks into Indian precious metals facility about 180 kilometers away. Um, the average grade, I mean, Chris, I, I heard that you recently visited Fortuna Silver, so you kind of well-versed into the silver industry now. The average grade of our oxide resource on the uh, uh, near surface is over 200 grams, close to 100, 200 grams. And Indian precious metal is processing right now at around 100 to 120. We see this as a win-win situation where NDM write us a check prepaid and they reimburse for us for the operating expenses. But what this means for NDM is they're going to you know, potentially significantly increase their fee grade and also their production and also their cash flow. And at the same time, uh, with the cash flow coming in from NDM precious metals, a silver elephant is, um, is uh managing our care, uh, cash flow carefully, and we're not anticipating to uh, having to raise money for 2024. So we see this as really as a win-win situation. And one, one last point, Chris, is that in terms of valuation, um, NDN is looking to extract probably around 5 million ounces of silver oxide in the next two to five years. The majority of that is probably the first two years. So in a, in a way, they're paying silver elephant a dollar an ounce, a dollar an ounce. And right now, silver elephant has hundred million ounces of silver in the ground and we're trading at $10 million market cap. So we're right now being valued at 10 cents per ounce in the ground. Uh, and then an Indian is, is, you know, proving that our, our resources are worth a lot more than that. And they're paying us 10 times the valuation, which is a dollar an ounce in the ground. And after the oxide layer is removed by Indian, the company will then will be studying to, uh, to uh, erect and to, uh, built a processing facility for the sulfide operation, which is the which is majority of our resource that's just beneath the oxide layer. Yeah, it sounded like a good deal where you have a good partner not too far away. I believe it's 180 kilometers. And also there was an escalator in there, which perhaps you could walk us through where if silver gets to 28 and 32, there's an additional payment. Right, we got a bit of a back. We got a little a bit of. There's, we're in the public listed. We're we're in the public trading business. You gotta have a thick skin to run, <laughs> to run, to run a mining company. You can never please everybody. So we didn't really give the farm. Well, first of all, we only gave away six percent of our resource, which is a which is a small percentage. But even but even that, um, if we have two escalators, if silver go up to twenty eight dollar for two hundred day two hundred fifty days, and we get another million dollar US. And if silver goes to the thirty-two dollar for one hundred and fifty days, then we get another a million dollar US. So I think you know we got a, a good upfront payment. Uh, we we could get a lot more if we were to you know, truck them a batch at the time and getting you know the real uh, spot silver price. But then there's risk. There are a lot of different risks associated with it. So we really sort of carefully thought through and 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 up to receive upfront payment with these uh, accelerator kickers. Um, not the best of leverage, but we still retain a bit of upside, Chris, for our shareholders. 
All right. And you also recently announced the sale of the Titan Vanadium Titanium project to Cache Gold Mines. And perhaps you could just give us a quick update on that one as well. Yeah, you know, that's a project that's sitting in the, in the we, we, we like that project a lot. And uh, we have this couple of group that came to us um, and Cache Gold run by Alex, an a, a absolute fantastic guy, professional deal with us, as with NDMI uh, Precious Metals. So we divested this project. We got about $230,000 in cash and 99% shares in Cache, which is a private company. Look at the, they look at the public in the next uh, 18 months. It's a Vanadium project. It's a good jurisdiction. There's a lot of uh, explore, uh, poten exploration potential, a very decent grade. And I'm very confident Cache, led by Alex, is going to do some good numbers uh, on this project going forward. And 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 also it fits fits into the theme you know mandated by the Silver Alpha Board, which is minimize dilution, divest non-core assets, and then and the focus on the uh the project that are near-term cash flow of which you can deliver, as in the case of Pulakayo. And also in take in, in the case of coal, the project just got the environmental renewal. And uh, we're talking to a very big uh, uh buyer of which we're discussing price for coal right now, of which Potentially, you could put the mine back into production this year and generate. You know, we're looking at um, potentially hundred, two hundred thousand dollars US net from our Mongolian operation, which is just gonna sort of provide further reassurance to our shareholders that we don't have another shoe to drop. Chris, <laughs> we are. I think we're in a very good situation compared to a lot of other juniors that are bleeding, bleeding cash or producing at a loss, and they're in the dilemma of whether to shut down the mine and, and you know could potentially have some local community upheaval. Um, those for us, I think we're really in a very, very good position. And also, Chris, I just want to emphasize that we have a very strong local community support and putting those mines for coal and silver into production, just going to demonstrate that we're in a jurisdiction in a neighborhood that are very supportive of our endeavor and that we have a good relationship uh, should we want to expand our operations in the future. Yeah, it makes sense what you're saying. We're certainly not the ideal environment to be diluting. So good to see that you have some cash flow coming in from some of the assets. And John, perhaps you could just let folks know where they can find you. What's the best way to get in contact and anything else uh, you'd like to pass along today? Chris, it's so good to be catch up uh, with you. And uh, you know, I'm reaching out to some of my um, people I haven't talked to for a long time to make sure they're in good order. <laughs> This is a crazy world out there. You can get hold of me on Twitter. Just search John Lee Silver Elephant. And you can get hold of me, J-L-E-E, -E, at silverelephant.com or visit our homepage, silverelephant.com. And Chris, I just want to assure our shareholders and your audience that the company is in good order. All our assets are in good standing. We'll have good relationship with our local communities. We don't have debt. Um, and uh, unfortunately, Chris, interestingly, interestingly, uh, we're in industry that requires some of the longest patience because the mine takes forever to build. But yet, but yet some of the investors has the least, uh, you know, has the shortest fuse. So, you know, our stock is a, is a, is a shadow of its former self. We're trading at 10 cents on the dollar, but I just want to assure our shareholders, like Warren Buffett said, if you want to buy the burger, you want to buy when it's cheap, not when it's expensive. And uh, we look forward to continue to provide updates to our shareholders and feel free to reach out to me and schedule a call if you like. And uh, looking forward to uh, making uh, making a few more friends and uh, and then, you know, have, have, have you come on a board, come on board and enjoy, come along for the ride. I think the next six months, um, invariably, we're going to see something 
drop um and of which is gonna it's gonna you know, bolster gold and silver prices and maybe nothing happens and maybe price is gonna move by itself because you never know the principal drivers or the catalyst uh, only in hindsight well certainly a uh, lot to keep an eye on out there and appreciate you walking us through uh, a lot of the economics you're looking at as well as an update on silver elephant I will have the links to both John's Twitter page and the website below. So folks would like to reach out and contact him and certainly find out more about Silver Elephant Mining. Just check the description field. And John, with that said, we'll wrap up for today. But pleasure as always to see you again. And who knows what uh, what we'll be seeing in the next couple of months. But great to catch up with you and we'll have to do this again soon. Stay in touch. Thank you.